This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. All right, Hollywood, it's new album release day, and you and I were both big Eclipse fans, and Eclipse has been gracious enough to drop a new album in 2021, Wired. I was fortunate enough to get Eric Martinson on the phone and have him go track by track through the album with me and share anything that he could on each one of the songs on the record. You and I both spent a little bit of time with the record. I've spent probably a lot more time because I got the advance a couple of weeks ago and have been going through it, preparing for the interview. So how about this? Let's you and I run this interview with Eric Martinson, go through it, and then we'll come back on and talk about our feelings on the record does that sound like a plan or what yeah that works because you know eric's been on the show a couple of times so for our cobras and fires listeners and fans eric martinson is to us as ron keel is to cobras and fire yeah that, that, <laughs> that's right the difference is is that eric's first language is not english so <laughs> it takes him it takes him a little bit of time to understand what the hell the southern bound Stephen michael is trying to ask him because uh we all know i'm not a wordsmith so you know he, he gets it out but uh yeah he's probably like man these crazy americans keep bothering me what's up with that it's all good i'm not going to be in a hot tub anytime soon with eric martinson i don't believe Maybe on the ship. Uh, who knows? He'll run. He'll jump out of that so quick. <laughs> they like the Turkish baths over in Sweden, don't they? Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough of this. So check out my interview with Eric Martinson, guitar player, singer, and uh, writer of Eclipse. And we go through the new album, for Wired, and then Sonny and I are going to come back, and we're going to share our thoughts on the record, and we will take it from there. So take it away, Eric. Hi, this is Eric Martinson from Swedish rock and roll band Eclipse, and you are listening to Growing Up Rock with Steven.
Welcome back to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Eric Martinson from Eclipse. Eric, welcome back, man. This is your third trip to the show. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I'm great. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Yeah, we really appreciate you spending some time. I've told you before we started recording, I've had about two weeks to really spend time with the new album that at the time of this recording, the new album is going to be released this Friday, October 8th, called Wired. And it really is a fantastic rock record. It kind of had me at the first couple go-throughs, but the more time I spend with it, obviously it grows on me a little bit more. Oh, that's wonderful. I want to talk to you about the tracks on the record, but before we get into that, I thought I'd talk to you about a few different things. At the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, you guys did a live stream that was fully plugged in from your studio there, which I got and I thought it came off really well. How did that do for you guys overall? Because you were one of the really first bands to do that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, well, the whole thing started with, you know, when they, then a pandemic struck, first of all, happy for everyone. We didn't know how long it was going to last because if we had known, I think people would have been really depressed. But uh, in Facebook and social media and stuff, like, it was like every guy with an acoustic guitar was having their phone in front of them and singing. Right. And I was so fed up with, you know, this whole, everyone just sang songs on Facebook somehow. And we were like, if we're going to do something like this, we got to do it for real with the real camera team, do it, you know, proper with the full band, full energy. So we, we did a whole thing with more like, you know, people could join us in our rehearsing room, kind mm -hmm. of rehearsal space. So that's how we did it. We did, I think it was April 1st, 2020. And uh, yeah, it was really fun, but it's in, in doing something like that, but it's, it's not that much fun because you, you can't interact with the audience, really. So it was like a lot of work. And it's just after the, the whole live stream, we just ended up like, okay, let's wait until the pandemic is over before we do <laughs> a concert again. Right. Yeah. I mean, overall, I thought it sounded amazing. It came off well. Did it generate any revenue for you guys in terms of, because I know it was a pay-per-view type thing, but it was very fair priced. So did it generate any kind of revenue for you guys to help you out? Yeah, you can't really you can't really charge people too much for a live stream. You know, it, it's not the same thing as, as a real concert. But the funny thing is that it, it's actually more work and more costs more money to have something like this than to actually do a real concert somehow. But um, we sold T-shirts, which was good for, you know, it, you know, everyone's talking about musicians who can't play live. But, you know, there, there's been there's so many other people surrounding door you know everything from venue owners promoters people who do lightning to who do sound who you know carry gear to people who print t-shirts you know a friend of our who was us who print all the eclipse t-shirts you know he came, went from working all the time to doing nothing at all because no one was ordering a band t-shirt no one was touring it was like it's just a complete halt so we we decided to make a special t-shirt just for that evening and that was great i think we sold like 400 t-shirts just for that evening. And those t-shirts were pretty cool. I enjoyed those t-shirts as well. I got my old school t-shirt on today, but uh, yeah. we here in the States were really excited to possibly get to see Eclipse really in a couple of weeks at this Monsters on the Mountain in Tennessee. And 
I was skeptical from the minute that you guys were announced because things just weren't trending that well. And of course, it finally came across that you guys weren't going to be able to make it here to the States. And for those listeners that really don't quite understand the full scope of what goes on in a time like this to get a band over from Europe, you guys are, of course, uh, kind of located out of Sweden. Yep. And various areas. Can you kind of explain what goes into getting a band like you guys over to the States to play just even one show? Yeah, it, it's actually it's ridiculous amounts of work and it's so much bureaucracy and paperwork. First of all, we need to have law firms in America, as, you know, helping us with uh, doing having working permits, which is it's super hard to get working permits. For us to come, you know, even for doing one show, which is it's like sometimes I feel like it's kind of silly because you have to do all this work just to play a show, mm-hmm. which makes it really hard to just get over there and play live. And, and that's I guess that's a reason why European bands don't come over as much as they, they could, because it, it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and also you have you have to go to the embassy and have like an interview, which is more like, yeah, so you're going to play in America. Yeah. OK, cool and a stamp and then it's just over but you have to i have to travel to you know to stockholm and be there a whole day just standing in line just to get <laughs> that like 30 second conversation but we are happy to do it because we love you know being over there and play live and you know just you know being in that beautiful country but uh, so w- we don't have a problem with that but this time it was not possible because the embassy was closed to everyone except for us citizens mm-hmm. so it was not possible to even do that 30 second interview which is needed right and even the borders are closed now. But if we don't, let's say the borders were open and we were just traveling there as tourists and we they, they get, we get caught right. in the customs, we have to go home directly and we are banned to enter again for a long time. And what's weird is I think, I mean, I don't know because I haven't traveled during this whole thing outside of the States, but I think if I wanted to get on a flight to Stockholm, I could probably do that today right yeah no problem yeah sure you can u.s citizens can go to america but we can by the way wow yeah that's <laughs> that's really yeah. frustrating to you guys and it's frustrating to me as a fan because obviously we were planning on attending the monsters on the mountain thing put on by the monsters of rock cruise people anyway because they do a good job with that stuff So we were going to go anyway, but when you guys were announced and it was right before the album, you know, right after the album release was going to happen, we were really excited about that. So now, yeah, same same here. Now we're basically holding out hope that the 2022 cruise in February will happen, hopefully. One thing we learned from this pandemic is that you, you can't expect anything to, you know, go as planned or, you know, maybe everything is like back to normal or it's just worse than ever. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, we're all in the same boat. I, like you guys, thought maybe it was going to happen and after a month it would be over. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I noticed that you, in a lot of your live videos and just in general, I noticed that you're starting to, it seems like, favor this Gretsch hollow body guitar a lot. Is it an actual Gretsch or is it a, a knockoff? It's a white Falcon Gretsch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a real deal. You kind of go back and forth between that and your white Les Paul. 
it seems like it might be a little bit cumbersome to play live because it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it has to be lighter than the Les Paul, but it's, it's kind of a big body guitar. It's, it's actually really nice playing live because it's big and it's, it's very stable. You know, when you hit the chords, you know, the strings or it's everything is just super stable and it's, it's not as bulky as it looks. It's, it's actually really good to, to play live and it's, you know, stays in tune. It sounds great. And it's uh, most important of all, it looks amazing. <laughs> it does look cool. I will say that yeah. that it sets you apart because you don't see a whole lot of hard rock and roll bands playing that thing, right? <laughs> there are not a lot yeah. of them. For me, the the white Falcon, it's everyone associates it with it, you know different people. But for me, that for me, it's Malcolm Young. I never see him play it live, uh, but uh, he played it during the Back in Black and for those of our rock tours. Yeah, he just kind of sits back in the back. You're out front running around. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, but, but I would love to be the Malcolm Young guy, though. But, but it's funny. The guitar is really, really big. That's why it looks so good. You know, it's, uh, but it's, it must have been huge. You know, Malcolm, he was such a small guy. Yeah, because so. it's pretty light, right? That guitar is fairly light, isn't it? Yeah, it's fairly light. Yeah, yeah, Les Paul is heavier. And yeah, the Les Paul, yeah, it's a custom as well. So it's, it, yeah, it's super heavy, the one I have. Les Pauls are like boat anchors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That white Les Paul I have, it's that was my first like proper guitar I ever bought in my life. You know, I, I spent, I don't know, almost $2,000 on that guitar when I was young. And, and it was, it, it, you know, it could have been $100,000 because for me, it was just so much money. It's just, it was just insane, and I worked so hard to get that money and bought both of the guitars. So it's super, very special to me because I—that is the guitar where the house is on fire. I will grab that guitar. Yeah, I got it. So, Eclipse Beer Wired Logger, tell us about this. Well, the whole thing started off as a mistake. Someone read an email wrong, and they started off sending emails to uh, setting up uh, to do a band beer, which was kind of fun, and we was kind of <laughs> like. It's, it's a long story, but I'll take it very short. But it's, it was like, what the hell? Let's do a beer. And uh, I'm, me and uh, uh, Magnus Guitar Play, we are both really beer nerds. Yeah. When we was younger, we were working on selling beer at shops. And my brother is, is brewing his own beer, brewing beer as well. So I'm very much into beer brewing and everything. So we set up a, a relationship with a, with a local brewery. And uh, I couldn't really be... We could really be part of the brewing and you know the recipes and the whole thing. So we, it, it's really been a collaboration. That's pretty cool, though, to get yeah. the opportunity to do something like that. Of course, a lot of bands like you know the Maidens and you know, Megadeth and a few others there that are doing uh, either beers or coffee or you know tequila, whatever yeah. they're putting their name on. So that's that's a cool little opportunity to do something like that for sure. Yeah. But most of the beer the band do, they, they it tastes like shit. To be honest, it's like it's like the the, the cheapest beer you can ever and yes, put slap your logo on it and then you know, off selling it. And uh, that was that was never it. it the beer's got to be, you know, got to be good as the music. You know, it's it it really matters. So it's 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 quite pricey, but you know, if you get the quality. Yeah, I'm not a beer aficionado. I think I've had some people say the Maiden beer is not bad. Maiden beer is actually really good. They have several, uh, they have stouts, they have uh, different ales and stuff. It's really good. Yeah. Probably the only band beer that's actually good. Most of them are really bad. They really, you know, the they Kiss beer they had here in Sweden, I just had a sip and I was like, piss water. I poured it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Wor worse, worse. 
<laughs> All right, let's get into Wired and go uh, track by track real quick. And just uh, anything you want to tell us on each one of these tunes would be great. Before I get into this, is this the first studio album that you've had Victor in on? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he played on a live album, but yeah, nothing paradigm. Yeah. So what does Victor bring to the writing process that maybe the last guy didn't bring? I think it brings a lot of positive vibes and energy. I think that's what this album really has got a lot of that. It's, you know, it's, it's a band having a good time writing, you know, doing music they love together. It's, I think it's, uh, that's really defines this record kind of the, the, the whole vibe and the positive vibe of doing this record. And it's been a, t- it's like a, a really good teamwork. Everyone has been working hard to make this record. And, uh, you know, previously, especially in the beginning, was a lot of Magnus, guitar player, and myself. We just wrote the songs and we just handed over, like, demos. Okay, this is how the album's going to sound like and uh, learn the songs and let's record in three weeks. But this time we really collaborated, all members together, to have this really, it's, it's got to be a band. And I think we are better band, both playing-wise and also as a group and having a good time together, better than ever. Yeah, so one of my comments I would make towards this album is that it does, all the albums have been really good for me, but this album has a certain cohesiveness in the entire feel of the record. So I could see where that kind of ties into what you just told us. There's a couple different versions out there. I have the CD version which I guess is going to be here in the States, and it kicks off with Roses on Your Grave. All versions are the same except for the vinyl. Uh, When you do running orders, especially for streaming, you you can't have, if you're not Iron Maiden, you you cannot open with a seven-minute long song, you know. So so otherwise, people will just turn it off. So, you know, usually have more and more easy, accessible songs in the beginning, and then you can kind of... Well, I appreciate that. I don't know about everybody, but I like to listen to an album from start to finish. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Yeah, that's the way I was raised. That's the way I like it. And so the LP, it looks like the running order of the LP is Saturday Night, Twilight, Ain't No Fun, Dying Breed, Carved in Stone, Things We Love, Roses on Your Grave, Run for Cover, Poison, Inside My Heart, We Didn't Come to Lose, Bite the Bullet. That's the LP running order. Okay, yeah, 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 might be, yeah. But... When you have an LP, you, d- you listen differently because you have two opening tracks on the record, kind of, and two ending tracks. You can, li- like, do a running order in two segments, which on CD and streaming, you just have one. I didn't run that record in that order because I don't have that version. The version I have is what the label supplied to us, which is a CD version. And for me, Roses on Your Grave is a great opening track. It is a great opening track, yeah. I love the song. It has almost a high and dry Def Leppard album feel, not necessarily the song high and dry, but the album feel. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that, but absolutely. You're right. Kind of that era, right? That era where it's something that feels like it could go from in that era of Def Leppard. But I love the song. I think it's a killer opening track. It's rock. It's Eclipse. What can you tell us about that song in particular? Anything? Well, I, uh, I wrote the, the chorus. I think I'm, I, I might have had the verse and the, uh, the chorus. I've done it myself. And then when uh, Victor came, we were supposed to, when we were, I think we were recording something and we were also writing. So we just did this chorus 
and it's somehow it's just fitted perfectly. We have kind of well, the chorus we just did, we did the chorus on acoustic guitar, and then and and I think the tie, you know, the the lyrics were identical. You know, the first time we sang it, it was like we had the roses in the grave, and we just we just kept that. But we when we play listen to the stuff previously done, which I had a, like a quick demo made of, you know, just the riff, you know, the guitar riffs that's on the on the song and the verse, and it was like if we just add uh, the uh, you know the chorus we just did an acoustic guitar to it, it made perfect sense, and that's how we we did it, kind of art by accident almost. Killer song. Go from that into Dying Breed, which is another killer tune. Who is the Dying Breed? I think that's us because I I was like. <laughs> When you see all these social media people, all the influencers and the, and the pop music industry kind of today, you can just sometimes get, get really tired. It's like it's, it's just smoke and mirrors. It's like there's nothing there for real. And it's sometimes you feel with you can I can feel really old. Mm-hmm. It's like it's <laughs> no one do it, the, 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 you know, the, the hard way anymore. It's, it's like everyone's just looking for fortune and fame and they don't honor the craft of doing music and performing live and yeah it's more about the light show and looking good on stage and well i think (laughs) rock and roll is about that too but you know what i mean yeah i think i get it i think i understand you go into that from dying breed into the first single which is saturday night hallelujah this song needs to be heard in an arena or at a festival uh there's no two ways around it and i'm sure that when you guys put this song together you kind of you had to be thinking that at the time this song came together, right? Yeah, it was one of those songs that were, you know, the the basic structure was done in 15 minutes. It was like super fast. But, we, you know, we just look at each other and just laugh. It's like, this is really good and it's just happened. But And uh, like, no one even tried and it just came out. And it's sometimes, you know, the best songs, they do come out like that. Because they kind of write themselves. And uh, not always, but it's it, it sure happens. And um, yeah, it's it's really, you know, the whole vibe is, is like, it feels like an anthem for the post-COVID world. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And isn't it odd as a songwriter where you hear that often, right? You hear people talk about all the time, like these iconic songs that were written in seconds because they stumbled upon something that just felt good or sounded good. And then other songs, you know, people agonize over. So it's really, uh, it's just an interesting thing. It, it is. And, uh, Usually the songs that you write really fast are usually really good because there's something very natural in how they flow. It's like it's like rain, uh, running water. It's just it just flows. But but you know you can create really good songs. But you can you can spend two weeks on a song on just one song as writing and, and re-record and change. And sometimes it will end up being a really really good song. But usually when you it's when it's hard to write a song, it's usually because something is wrong. <laughs> Right. And sometimes we tend to overthink ourselves, probably, especially as a songwriter. Absolutely. Run for covers, the next song. Any insight into this one? This is where the the album, I won't say it, it mellows, but this is where it sort of starts to change pace a little bit here for this song. Yes, yeah, slows, slows down a little bit. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite songs on the record. I, I really like that one. That was also a mixture of, of different ideas I had laying lying around. I had the like the melodies and some of the stuff, and we started writing another song. And uh, the verses were really good, but as a whole, it wasn't good. So we just put them together with, the, with that old melody I had, and it was just because I've been working really hard. There was one song that I had been working really hard on, but it, I could never get a, either melody or chorus. It just didn't fit with the melody. 
And somehow the, this new stuff we wrote just fitted together perfectly with this one. We just, it's like cut and paste kind of, and it's like, this is the perfect song. It's just, and it's just came together and it's working. It's got uh, one of the Hendrickson's best guitar playing on the record, I think. Best guitar playing ever. I think it's uh, killer guitar solos. And no, I, I really like that song. We could definitely kind of play live. Yeah, Magnus rips all through this record. And you talked about melody for Run for Cover. I think that the a really great melody is the next song, which happens to be the first ballad on the record, Carved in Stone. The melody is really good for this song. Yeah, it's uh, probably, I think it's the first song I, I wrote for the record. Uh, I, I also done very quickly, I, I did just an acoustic guitar and, and a vocal. And... Uh, I recorded it and I was in like in super hurry. So I just did it super fast and it's just turned out really good. And I, I took it, I just emailed the guys in the band or, or, or maybe I played it for them before a gig or something. And everyone else really liked it. So it, it was kind of the first song that was to be on the album list. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's apparent at this point in the record is again, I'll talk about sequencing. This record to me is sequenced really to my taste. Out of the gate, you're whipping ass for the first three songs. You slow it down slightly, but not a bunch. And then you finally get to the ballad midway through the record, but it's a great ballad. I'm not typically a ballad guy. I like to rock and roll, but this song has a great melody. And then you pick it right back up with Twilight, which is the third single, and that really kind of picks up the pace. And the, to me, this is another arena rocker. What can you tell us about that? When he wrote it, it was Hendrickson and, and me who wrote it. And, uh, well, it was also one of those. I, I, I think I had uh, the, the, the riff and the verse already recorded, but I couldn't come up with a, with a chorus. So we, we worked on a song together. Hendrickson came to the studio. We started working on the song and do, trying out different ideas. And... All of a sudden, we just came up with the, the chorus, and it, then everything just went super easy. And, and we came up with this, you know, in the, in the end of the song, we have this Beethoven part. Uh, the melody is from, um, I think it's from the Ninth Symphony or something like that. I was going to ask you about that, because uh, towards the end of the song, that uh, I don't know if you want to refer to it as an outro or whatever, but towards the end yeah. of the song, there is this classical piece of music, which I couldn't place who the composer was and it reminded me of maybe a christmas song or something like a christmas yeah. uh yeah it, it's ode to joy with uh johann sebastian bach yeah no 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 just about uh, uh ludwig van beethoven i'm sorry ah <laughs> uh, yeah beethoven so yeah it, we just played it and long story short we are some stupid thing we just did a demo and we i started playing the melody over the chorus chords and it just worked perfectly and we just started to laugh it was so fun so we we just we just kept it and uh, i think already from the demo i, I make this uh, very high pitched falsetto scream in the end and that is actually from the demo recordings the whole thing is is left already you know it's, it's from the demo now, when you do something like that, do you have to give any kind of a writing credit to to something like that for classical music, or you just absorb it? No, you don't have to, because uh, it's 70 years after uh, the composer died. 
<laughs> it, it's free to use. It's free. You know, free to use it. That's good. Let's see, we go from Twilight to Poison Inside My Heart, slower but not quite a ballad, perhaps maybe sort of a power ballad, maybe. I don't know. If, from the beginning, it was a rock, uh, you know, it started a full blown rock song from the start. But uh, before we recorded it, we just arranged it because it's, it, when I played it on acoustic guitar, it was the melodies, you know, they everything sounded better and more powerful the less instruments and the less arrangements we had it sounded just better so we uh, ended up just having the the first part of the song just acoustic guitar more or less and and, and when all whole songs kicks you know when everyone in you know, the whole band kicks in that's how it kind of started sounded from the beginning and what i really like is how it kind of drops down and you change the tempo towards the end in the outro Something goes on with yeah. the drums and they go to halftime or something. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do something like that. Yeah, and that also changes the whole how you perceive the melody and everything. Yes, if you just change the tempo on the same melody, if you have it in upbeat or if you take tempo in half, and it's just changed the whole vibe of the song. Yep. I go from that to bite the bullet. So we're back up in tempo again to the second single, which is just a rocker. Uh, that thing uh, shreds, so really like Bite the Bullet quite a bit. Anything in particular with that one? Last song I wrote for the record, I, it was just before we should start recording the album, and you know when we had to choose which songs to be recorded. And I wrote this song, and I sent it to the guys, and I was like, I think I just wrote a very fun, you know, old-school heavy metal song. Yeah. They all, yeah, and they all liked it. It was like, this is going to be on the record. So we recorded it, and it, it ended up being a, a single as well, which is fun. Yeah, to me, the riff is a little bit um, like maybe except sort of feels like yeah. except the main the main riff, but then it becomes an eclipse song very quickly. Yeah, with the melodies, of course. Yeah, and yeah, and and, and also you can hear the Gretsch. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. We didn't come to lose. This is another arena banger. This is uh, catchy with the with the OOOs and all that stuff. That's just a catchy tune, uh, but definitely kind of a I don't know. We will rock you. Lay your hands on me type tune. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those songs. Either you love it or hate it, and it it doesn't really matter because it will divide. It will it will bring something new to the record. Yeah, and it, you know some people will will like think it say it's the best song and some people say it's the worst song and it's and, and that's okay it doesn't matter you, you, you can be any cat category and it will it will still do the you know the job it's meant to have it, it's one of those um I, a friend of mine johan becker uh, a songwriter i've been working a lot with he we he were in this my studio we we had a lot of beers and dinners and had a good time we just we just came back to the studio like let's do something we something unexpected and we just did this beat and that kind of the main riff yeah and we just started you know singing stuff over it and just try to come up with something crazy and, and that's how it's we, we wrote the song yeah and we go into things we love and this one for me has some of those uh sort of celtic guitar lines a lot like viva la victoria yeah. that kind of feel to it uh in fact it's really the only song on here that is reminiscent of that to me yeah, the whole song is more is more guitar melodies, and it's just some vocals in between. We couldn't come up with a with a chorus for that one, and uh, after a while, we had different choruses, and none of them was great. It was like we couldn't come up with anything, yeah. and then I just realized we don't need a chorus because the guitar riff is the chorus. We just had the verses, and yeah, skip the chorus. <laughs> yeah, there's yes. a whole whole lot of guitar harmony stuff going on in that. Yeah. It's really cool. 
Yeah, we say it's, it's like the Black Rose, you know, it's uh, the Thin the Lizzy song, Black Rose. Mm-hmm. It's just new melody, guitar melodies coming all the, it's just, it's just stacks, different guitar melodies on top of each other. Just, it, it's a great song. And so this is more like the Black Rose of Eclipse. Yeah. Dead Inside, which this is on the CD, it's Dead Inside. It's a bonus track. On the LP, it's a song called Ain't No Fun. I got Dead Inside. I haven't heard Ain't No Fun. It's a rocker. It has an intro that, uh, for me, is reminiscent of, like, you know that song, Wild Child by Wasp? Yeah, I know that song. It, it, it absolutely sounds like Wild Child. I love Wasp. Uh, I, it's one of my favorite bands as a child. I, I remember when I went to, to the music, you know, the, the record store and bought, um, bought La- The Last, Last Command. Command. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, listen, just a fantastic record from start to finish. I'm excited for Eclipse fans to hear this record. I was excited to, uh, to get a sneak preview of the record. I really, really hope that uh, we get the opportunity to hear some of these songs live in February on the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Yeah, definitely. And if it's canceled, then we, we do it another year. It's, you know, with a, the plenty of years in the future to <laughs> so you know we are we are not about to retire yet so we still have there will be many many chances to see the band live in the US you got plenty of rock and roll left in you Eric Martinson I really appreciate you going through these tracks again the album is called Wired it is coming out on October 8th which by the time you hear this interview it'll be out there and available for you so go pick it up and support Eclipse we try to do what we can here in the States to support the band. Uh, and you're the perfect example of rock is not dead. Rock is alive and well. You just need to go out there and seek it out. Eric Martinson, thank you again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word. G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. And we're back. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview with Eric Martinson as we ran track by track through the new Eclipse album, Wired. Sonny, any enlightening parts out of that interview? I thought it was interesting that Kiss Beer is worse than Piss Water. All righty then. <laughs> Yeah, so he he didn't have anything kind to say about uh, a lot of the um, artists that are putting together these things. And he's probably right. I mean, look, he's probably pretty honest about that. A lot of artists, I think, probably just get paid a fee to slap their name on it and don't take hands on. Uh, I do know that there are some people and he said the maiden beer is really quite good. And I know like some of the artists like uh, Michael Anthony and his hot sauce, he's very involved in and supposedly that's really good stuff. So piss water, kiss beer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. I don't think he was skirting the question. I just don't think he was comfortable sharing how much they made on the live stream, the 400 shirts. I mean, that's probably what 10,000 bucks, right? About $25 a shirt. I bought a shirt. I thought they were cool. Um, it's cool that they sold that many shirts, but I can't imagine he made, they made that much money on the live stream. And I think what he was trying to send us in like code is like, it ain't worth the time and effort. Yeah, I would agree. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, you were dead on, on all of that because I got the same feeling. He never, 
it's it's hard with Eric to know what he's getting and what he's not because he's literally, I think, having to decipher what I'm asking him in in American. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just, I've seen him in other, other interviews, especially interviews that he's doing in his native language and he, he flows much better. And I just think it's because he has to process, uh, what it is I'm saying, which, you know, to be quite honest, some Americans have to process what I'm saying because they don't understand the, the Southern speak. A hashtag a truth. <laughs> Hell, hell, Sonny's got a translator built into Skype so that he understands what I'm asking him half the time. See, the listeners don't know. We edit this stuff. So there is like minutes of blank space where I'm deciphering what's being said that we edit out. (laughs) Exactly. Hashtag truth for that as well. Uh, But yeah, I mean, 400 shirts is pretty good. I also got the feeling that they probably uh, shared some of that with their crew and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know what it costs to film something like that. But I mean, they did it in a studio that that they own. I think they did it at um, Victor and Philip uh, Kersner's studio and you know, they've got friends that do some of that stuff. So who knows? But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think he enjoyed the experience because it cost him money. And I don't think they enjoyed the experience because he's playing to a monitor. He's not able to interact with the crowd. So just like we would have done, most likely they recorded the songs two or three times, right? You know, they had four or five camera angles because we saw all the different shots on the DVD. So once you got all that done, maybe it takes you two, three hours to kind of get all that situated, you know, an hour or so to get set up an hour or so to, you know, kind of wind down. So even if it was five, six, seven hours of recording in the editing room to try to figure out which camera angle to use, try to figure out which song to use on each one, you blink and that could be a week's worth of work. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you and I, we both paid for the pay-per-views. I think it was well worth it, especially early on. Because that happened in April uh, and everything shut down in March. So it's literally about a month after everything shut down. I thought it was well worth it. It sounded great. It looked great. Uh, and it was, I don't know, I don't remember what I paid. I think it was like 10 bucks or something American, right? Yeah, it was, uh, wasn't it like a funky number, like 1177 or something? Like it wasn't, I thought it was a funky number. Maybe that was the Striper one that was like $7.77. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been funky from the uh, from the exchange rate or something like that because we went through some Swedish uh, thing or something. But yeah, I, I just remember it was not that expensive. It was uh, worth it to me because you were able to watch it. I want to say for like forty eight hours or something like that after. Yeah, yeah. No, it was well worth it, no doubt. Okay, so let's get into the track by track with this record. And let me get your thoughts. I shared a lot of my thoughts in that interview with Eric. So I'm more curious as to what your thoughts on it. Uh, you heard us talk about the different sequencing with the CD and the cassette versus the LP. To me, as I looked at the sequencing of the album uh, from the album, from the LP, I like the sequencing of the CD much better. It just works much better for me. I, I commented on it several times. I think the album flows much better and 
I, if you go back to our album review of Paradigm when it came out, that was one of my issues with the record. In fact, I think that might have been what kicked off the whole sequence and doesn't matter debate between you and I was that album. It was uh, not sequenced well for me personally. And so you got which copy, Sonny, which copy did you end up getting the LP version or the CD version? Uh, the CD version, which is the streaming version, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's the same on Spotify. Uh, and it is the CD. And also they made cassettes. Cassettes are coming back, people. <laughs> so it starts out with Roses on Your Grave. What's your thoughts on this song? Yeah. You know, the, before I get to Roses on Your Grave, I thought great production, right? The normal big sound that Eclipse has overall. So I think that's great. And I think Eric sounded great on all of it, right? So his vocals are still there. He's a young guy. They're not, not going to be there really. Right. So what was interesting about Roses on Your Grave, I remember when I read the title, I'm like, okay, that's a little, uh, death metal sounding. <laughs> uh, so if you don't know Eclipse, right. But then right at the beginning, he does that little whistle. It's almost like a, a poison Motley Crue type of whistle thingy to kind of show you right out of the gate. Yeah. You ain't listening to death metal. You're all right. Because if you don't know Eclipse, maybe you don't know. I thought the song was a good pace. I like the verses better than the chorus. Mm -hmm. This song kind of ended up middle of the road from the whole album for me, though, overall. I said it before. For me, it takes me to that high and dry era of Def Leppard. Not the song, but the album, just like I said in the interview with Eric. I love it. I think it's a great album opener. Probably, as it stands today, probably one of my favorites on the record. Now, that's probably going to change over time, but that one is definitely... Love this team. from that to die and breed what's your thoughts on that yeah here's where i heard the definite eclipse sound mm -hmm. right here's a song that could have been on any of the last two or three albums and we all know that eric likes writing those anthemic stick it to the man we're different why don't you like us type songs songs well written these are the type of melodies that attracts me to all the european bands mm -hmm. this is the stuff that it's like all right it's anthemic but it's not cheesy because sometimes anthemic can get a little cheesy yeah. um it's written well it's easy to listen to it's got like mass appeal so i like this song for sure
awesome saturday night the first single yeah i'm a sucker for a song that starts with a chorus i like the whole hallelujah for the weekend thing in the verses yeah i can tell you i can name 10 friends they're gonna absolutely hate the song because of that I thought that hey, hey, hey thing in the solo, normally I like the singer to just shut the fuck up during a solo, right? <laughs> but the hey, hey, hey thing worked for me. I thought it was a nice touch. Did Eric say it took him 15 minutes to write this? Because this is written pretty well. Yeah, this is one that uh, he said uh, came very quickly to them. Yeah, wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's the whole thing, right? He and I got into that conversation of iconic songs, you know, not to compare Saturday Night Hallelujah to some of the, you know, the Rolling Stone iconic song, Led Zeppelin iconic songs, whatever. But, you know, a lot of the iconic songs that are out there, uh, it's been noted by the writer many times that they're just songs that come to them and, you know, they're written within minutes versus some that they struggle with. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think Eric and I went back and forth as to uh, what the cause of that would be. And sometimes it's just overthinking, but it's an arena rock song. There's no doubt about it. I liked it the first time I, I heard it. I thought that you actually weren't a huge fan of this song because I thought you were kind of meh uh, when this song was released, but uh, maybe you've had some time to spend with it now. <laughs> So we go from that to Run for Cover. I thought Run for Cover, it reminded me a little bit of Slade slightly, but it was still all Eclipse. I'm curious because I've never heard Eric kind of mention Slade as an influential band. What about you? This seems like it would be a song right up your alley. What's your thoughts on Run for Cover? Yeah. So uh, before I tell you that, I am on my sixth listen on this album. Okay. Right? So you know, cause I wanted to give it a really good shot and wanted to listen to everything all the way through. Like usual, you are incorrect <laughs> because I did not, I did not connect with this song. I didn't listen to Eric's interview cause you sent it to me. I didn't listen to the interview until after my fourth or fifth listen of the album. And I was trying to figure out, I'm like, man, run for covers. Like it's okay. I like the verses better than the chorus. I think the breakdown's cool. It's got great guitar solos, but there's something about the song that didn't connect with me. And then I'm like, there's something funky about it. There's something missing. And then hearing Eric say it's a combination of a couple of things he was working on in the past, that might be it. It doesn't super flow well, maybe. And that's why it doesn't connect. 
But yeah, I didn't think that this was the best song of the album by any means. And this is one of his favorites, right? Didn't he mention that? Uh, that? I don't remember that. Yeah, I think he mentioned this was one of his favorite songs on the record, was Run For Cover. It starts slowing down the album a little bit. It's not Run For Cover, as I mentioned. It's it's not a ballad. It just slows down from the first three because the first three are really just kind of balls out. Then we get into Run For Cover, which is a little bit more melodic, a little bit more mellow. And then we go from that to the ballad. So... As I said, pace-wise, it's really well-paced for me because you're five songs in before you get to the first ballad. And Carved in Stone definitely is a straight-up ballad. For me, we all know I'm not a ballads person, but I noted for this tune that I felt like the melody was something that was familiar to me. I couldn't tell you what, but I also thought that it was a really good melody. What are your feelings on Carved in Stone? I really liked it. Harmony vocals in the verses, love them. I thought it was well-written. Again, mass appeal. I especially love the late buildup because I think what happens is some of these ballads all start sounding the same because most of these bands start building it after the first chorus. They get get after the first verse, they build it to the chorus, and then they keep it built into the second verse. And these guys kept it there, kept it there, kept it there until they got to the basically through two thirds of the song before they kind of built it up. I like that because it was a little more unique. I thought this song was written really well. 
Yeah. And like I said, there's something very familiar about the melody, but I can't place it. And it may just be part of the melody that's familiar to me. I don't know. But yeah, I really think Carved in Stone is a, is a great ballad uh, as well. Uh, now, I know you're a fan of this next tune and it took me a few times, but eventually I really enjoyed the song after a few listens. And this really picks up the pace quite a bit. It's another arena rocker. We're talking about the third single, Twilight, which was released. What are your feelings on this tune? Oh, man, this thing is this is like Eclipse and Heat having a baby. <laughs> this thing is awesome, right? Like the minute I st- the minute I started hearing the song the first time, I'm like, wait a thought. I thought I went to Eclipse. Why did I go to Heat? And then you hear Eric's voice. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the eight guys got in the room together and wrote a song. Guy, This song is awesome. And I love the start stop, the accents on the start stop, that last note that Eric hits with about 30 seconds left, and the whole Beethoven outro thing is unique. I, I love this song. You have to even be careful about saying, and then I hear Eric's voice because you might have been talking about hearing Eric's oh, voice right, on E. Right. <laughs> Both singers. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm glad we talked a little bit about the classical music piece because that was uh, bugging me for a while uh, upon many listens of this song. So he put clarification to that which was cool yeah it's a banger of a tune basically definitely rocks you go from that to poison inside my heart i feel like this is a little bit slower tune it's not really a ballad i mean maybe you could call it a power ballad it reminds me of lot of bon jovi but it definitely helped when they dropped the drum beats to halftime towards the end of the song but this song is, I mean, I can sort of take it or leave it, basically. How about you? This is probably like your favorite song on the record now. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you're incorrect. <laughs> yeah, first thing I put was, is this a power ballad? Like, we keep coming back to the power ballad argument and uh, <laughs> the track listing argument, <laughs> and that sequencing matters. Again, to me, sequencing doesn't matter because I was the guy making all the mixtapes when I was young, so uh, I never cared about the sequencing. The best thing about this song is a guitar solo. Besides that, it might remind, might remind us of Bon Jovi. And Eric, I love you, but if you were trying to get Bon Jovi, this is an epic fail. Because it, it's okay. It was just kind of meh to me. It doesn't hold a candle to Carved in Stone to me. 
Right. Yeah. And it's, they're definitely two different types of, of tunes. I mean, carved in stone without a doubt. There's no question. It's a ballad. Poison inside my heart. Yeah. I, I'm just not sure what to make about the tune. I don't hate it. Uh, it's definitely, you know, but it's just kind of there for me. We go from that. And again, I think the sequencing. So we've talked about it time and time again. Sonny's not a sequencing person he doesn't have to have sequencing and he he harkens back to the fact that he was making mixtapes all along well i mean i made mixtapes too growing up but i also came from a place where you listen to the album from start to finish and i think a lot of older rock fans they did the same thing now we have streaming services and it's a struggle for me to listen to a record from start to finish, but I like to do it with these rock records because I feel like you get the full story. A lot of times in the sequencing, the artists are trying to paint a picture for you, I think. So sequencing doesn't matter Sonny, but it does to me. And this, this record really flows well to me as far as slow to heavy, fast to mid tempo, that type thing. So this second single, Bite the Bullet, it picks it back up after Poison Inside My Heart kind of brings it down. Yeah, I like the breakdown in Bite the Bullet. I, I thought the chorus was okay. Right. But I'll tell you, you guys mentioned Accept. Yes, this is what Accept would sound like if they had a really good singer. This is the piece that's wrong with Accept. Exactly. <laughs> yes and no. The riff is definitely Accept. And yeah, I know you're not an Accept fan because of Udo uh, or even Mark, but... The riff is definitely has that accept feel, but then, you know, it becomes Eclipse pretty quick. They never stick with the one thing. They always bring it back home to what the band is sort of about. And, uh, yeah, maybe that's a good point. Maybe this is except with, uh, maybe if except and Eclipse had a baby, this is what it would sound like. <laughs> That's an ugly baby from the Udo side of the family. <laughs> All right. So let's see. We go from Bite the Bullet, which was the second single, to uh, We Didn't Come to Lose. I think I, I said it in the interview, but this is Lay Your Hands on Me, part two. I personally like it because I like songs like this. I like the catchy ooh, ooh, oohs. What are your thoughts on this? How, how did this song uh, treat you? Yeah, so I had said that Twilight was a Eclipse and Heat baby. This is the second child. And in Twilight, it felt like Eclipse won more of the songwriting, but in We Didn't Come to Lose, it feels like like Jonah T and Dave DeLone won more of the songwriting, right? So I love the groove, the whole start and stop of the riff thing, love the keychain near the end. I think it's a great song. It's when you start listening to it, you're like, all right, is this thing gonna be kind of cheesy? But it works. But you know what? Lay lay your hands on me starts out cheesy and it works. So um, I thought they did a good job with it. Come to 
don't like lay your hands on me there, right? Uh, it's okay. I'm just, I'm over it. You know how they, you guys always talk about like burnout or whatever. Yeah. I'm just over it. I, for some reason, I've heard that song so many times. I'm just like, really? Yeah. I mean, that's a song that I've always liked. I still like it today, but I, I had thought at one point in time, maybe you didn't like that song at all. But uh, if it's just fatigue, it's fatigue. That's fine. Uh, so we go from that to things we love. I said it already. This is the first song that reminds me of like the Paradigm album. They use that those guitar lines, and I heard somebody else mention that they were they were Celtic guitar lines. So I used that when I was talking to Eric in the interview. Uh, if that's what they are, that's what they are. But that was what I was trying to explain to you when we did the Paradigm breakdown way back when on whatever episode that was. It's that certain guitar line that is just different than everything else uh there's some cool guitar harmony stuff going on in this in this song what are your thoughts on this song yeah those celtic things you're talking about right just gives it that irish flavor yeah it shows up in a lot of eclipse over the years so maybe that's what kind of attracts me that they're a little bit different than what i I normally hear because obviously i don't listen to a bunch of irish rock bands isn't you too irish uh yes yeah they suck (laughs) <laughs> like, I, don't, so I, I, I might not listen to any Irish rock bands. I don't even know this song. So like I said, I listened to it four or five times before I listened to the interview and I'm like, did I miss the chorus? Is there a chorus on this song? And then Eric says there isn't one that is just the guitar melodies. I'm like, oh, okay. So I didn't miss it. Uh, overall, it's an okay song. It probably was middle of the road to me uh, for the entire album, but uh, it's not something I would skip. Yeah. I think I'm along the same lines. I'm in the, in the same boat with that thought. So we'll get to the final song on the CD, which is also a bonus track, and it's exclusive bonus track to the CD version of the record. The LP has a song called Ain't No Fun, which I've yet to hear. It's probably out there by now, but I haven't heard it yet, so I have no clue what kind of song that is but Dead Inside is a pretty good CD closer. I mean, it's a rocker, and the first time I heard it, I associated it with wild child just like i said to eric uh and it was surprising to me that eric knew right away what i was talking about and even said he was a wasp fan i was kind of like really so how how did you uh feel about this song yeah i thought it was interesting he said he was a wasp fan too but then i'm like oh you know what a lot of eclipse production is brighter like the last command is really bright in the production so i think Eric might not know it, and maybe it's just coincidence, but he kind of likes, I guess, that flavor of the sound. Uh-huh. Now, the Eclipse sound is uh, produced much better. Some of those, like, last commands, really thin in some spots. Like, you can't hear the bottom end at all. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I picked up the Wild Child thing immediately, too. If love can live forever, dude, that one line is so awesome, the way it's done. And it's so catchy. It was ringing in my head the last couple of days. Right. So I'd only heard the song five or six times, but the one that I keep humming kind of is that one line for some reason. Yeah. And I thought they did a good job of adding keyboards to this song. I thought, you know, overall, Eric does a good job of, hey, if we're going to add keyboard somewhere, can we do it for a reason instead of just having it? Right. And I thought they did a good job of this.
Overall, your thoughts on the record. So with Eclipse, there's always three or four songs that hit me immediately. When Eclipse releases something new or kind of after we got into them and I got all the albums, first listen, I was like, all right, there's always kind of like three or four. This one actually had six. Wow. Like there were six songs that I'm like immediately, oh my God, that's awesome. Right? And that doesn't happen too often with me with other bands, to be honest with you. I sure the hell didn't do it on Monster or fucking Cycle Circus or, <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> um, it doesn't happen often, but uh, yeah, there was six that I'm like, wow, that could be on my like forever playlist and I'd be cool. Like those are really good. Yeah. There's probably only two songs on here that I would skip if I was paying attention. If I wasn't really paying attention, this isn't like, you know, I'm running to the radio to go turn it off. This isn't you too. You know what I mean? Uh, or accept or Saxon, or I can keep naming if you want me to. Right. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing that I would skip like on purpose, but it, there was just yeah, a couple of songs that didn't connect with me, but there was six that definitely connected right out of the gate. Okay. You want to share those six or you want to just give me your top two? No, I'll share all six and I'll do them in order. So I, I had six, I had dead inside five. I had dying breed three is, or four is carved in stone. Three is we didn't come to lose. Two was Saturday night. Hallelujah. And one was twilight. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And I'm guessing based on our conversation that we just had, the ones that are kind of, um, not necessarily skippers, but, uh, things that are lesser for you would be poison inside my heart. And run for cover? Yep. Okay. Yep, that is correct. All right. For me, this record, upon first listen, starts out so strong. Roses on Your Grave, Dying Breed, Saturday Night, uh, Saturday Night, Hallelujah, are just, I, I love them. I love all three of those tunes. We slow it down a little bit, but I don't, I don't hate run for cover. And I really like Carved in Stone as a ballad. So I think that we're on the same page overall for the way this record works for us. Because even with songs like Run for Cover and A Ballad, even though I love Carved in Stone as a ballad, it's still a lot to give me from a rock perspective towards the back end of the album. So Twilight, love it. Bite the Bullet, love it. We Didn't Come to Lose, I like a lot. Uh, Dead Inside, I like a lot. So for me, I'm sort of in the same boat, which is Poison Inside My Heart and Run for Cover. Maybe things we love, but everything else is just really strong for me. And overall, I enjoy this record more so than I enjoyed Paradigm because there was a lot on Paradigm that didn't necessarily work for me. There's still a lot that did work, but 
a lot that didn't work as well. All right, so you know how we always try to connect the kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, since we're talking about a band from Sweden, figured we'd go with a Kiss cover from Sweden. So I got all these Kiss covers from all over the place. Some I've sourced myself. Some guys like Gary Cap sent me tons of. Joe always has stuff. Joey's always sending stuff. Uh, but in 2005, there was an album called Kiss Army Sweden MP3 Tribute. It was all self-funded, self-released. It's got 22 different versions of Kiss songs done by several Swedish bands spanning Kiss's entire career. So here's a version by a band called Das Fark. I don't know a damn thing about this band because, first of all, I don't read that language. Second, there was nothing on the internet about them. They do a bunch of songs on this um, release. But here is a very unique version of Hooligan. Check it out. Yeah. 
I don't know what Das Bach is, but go Das Bach yourself, okay? Because I'm not putting up with it the uh, way you speak to me on this podcast. Ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> listen, if you're going to do a cover song, you got two choices. You can either play it close to the hip and do it exactly like it is and don't stray too far, or you can go all the way left to center and doing something completely different. And we've done it a couple of different times on this historic moment where we've played versions that were a little left of center. This is definitely left of center and I kind of enjoyed it. I'd be, be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it a little bit. I like the funk. I like the groove. Uh, it works for me just a little bit. It's weird because as I pointed out to you, when I listened to it, it's a Swedish band and I'm assuming the members are Swedish, but this thing comes off almost like some country singer is doing it it's it's a little that part is a little bit weird for me but maybe it just means that this song lends itself or could lend itself to some modern country rock band who knows yeah and a lot of the european bands when they do kiss covers they will stay close to the vest like the voice will be different but the rest they pretty much keep it the same right because they're just kind of doing a tribute to an american band right right for us it's like, man, we've heard these songs over and over and over and over. I want to hear something a little bit different. And sometimes a different does not work. Like I've heard death metal European bands doing stuff like God of Thunder. I'm like, come on, dude. I get it. You got the Cookie Monster. That ain't working on that song. Like it's supposed to be scary, not just unlistenable. You know what I mean? This works. And I couldn't place it. You said country. I'm like, it's got to be something like that. It's just, it's so different that you couldn't stop listening to it. Right, you you couldn't just turn it off. God, oh, that's shit. I don't want to hear that. They do several different songs on that release, and all of them are a little bit different. Yes, and I will say that one of the things that I think is important to note, and one of the things that I think is really great, and why this type stuff will work, is because they went for what I would consider a deep Kiss album cut. I mean, Hooligan, not you know, yes. Crazy Kiss fans are going to know Hooligan, but the majority of people are not going to know Hooligan, right? Yeah. I mean, how many different versions of Love Gun can you have? <laughs> exactly. And it makes it tough, just kind of like you said, is if you're going to go do Love Gun or Detroit Rock City or Rock and Roll All Night or even Deuce, then you got to keep it close to the vest because if you miss, you're going to miss big. Yeah, uh, uh, no doubt. I mean, listen, it's much more refreshing for me personally as a music fan and a Kiss fan to hear something like Hooligan done left to center than it is for me to hear God of Thunder or Detroit Rock City or Love Gun or, or Shout It Out Loud or uh, Rock and Roll All Night done again for the 450th billion time, regardless of whether it's left to center or uh, straight on. Uh, what I don't remember what it was, but we did a version. You did a version of, was it Come On and Love Me? That was not that long ago that we did for the Kistort moment, which was a little left to center, the version that they did. And I actually kind of liked it a little bit. Was that what it was? You haven't really disliked any of the left to center stuff. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there you go. And, and And I think that a big part of that is the deeper track stuff. So in the end, we got a new Eclipse album. It's really good. And it's a, honestly, it's a quick listen. I think it's only like 45 minutes long. Uh, yeah, I don't even think it's that long. I think it's 40 minutes, 39, 40 and 40, 39 or something. It's, uh, it's just the way I think rock records should be. 40 minutes done, 
this hour and a half stuff, man, the hour and 10 minute stuff, it's just too much. I don't have the attention span for it. And that means good or bad. So, you know, with all the crap and all the negative stuff that comes with COVID, we're getting some really good music from bands that are probably spending time writing. And that is one of the positive things that's coming out of this 2021. When we get ready to wrap up our 2021 year and we uh, get to our, our favorite 10 for the year, it's going to be tough because there has been for me personally, anyway, a lot of good music that's come out uh, this year, but it, it also, so it seems like maybe we say that every year, but it is what it is. So, uh, and I think this is a great effort from Eclipse. I can't wait to see some of this stuff live. I really am hoping for February to come off as it should. And uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. On that list of possible the best of 2021 right now, I have 25 albums on that list that can make my top 10 and the year is not over yet. So it has been a pretty good year. It has been, and I almost can guarantee you that two albums that are will be on that top 25 list are on the list for both me and you, and both of them contain Eric Martinson. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention that to him, but uh, I never got around to it. But yeah, I guarantee you that... Uh, Right now, as it stands, if we shut down things today and and did our list, he might end up uh, in my uh, top 10 twice. I think there was a year where, where Alessandro Del Vecchio was six times on my list. Oh, geez, the amount of <laughs> shit he does. He might be on all 10. Hell, who knows? <laughs> I don't think this year for me he's going to end up in that area, but uh, who knows? Uh, we got list going. So, yeah. Anyway, great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the conversation I had with Eric Martinson from Eclipse. Sonny and I are going to continue to uh, fly the flag for bands like Eclipse and Heat because, quite honestly, we just like what they produce. Uh, if you're not a fan of one band, you're probably not a fan of the other band, in which case you're probably just going to skip this episode altogether. Uh, and that's cool, too. It's it's whatever floats your boat, but uh, bands like Eclipse and Heat float mine and Sonny's boat, so we're going to continue to ring that bell and fly that flag. Yeah, I think it depends on if you were really a Deep Purple, White Snake, like that vein of blues bass, um, that kind of part heavy metal, part blues bass type of band in the 80s, there's no reason to hate on Heat or Eclipse. If you're not a fan of that stuff, then yeah, you're going to have a hard time listening to these guys. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so again... I would encourage you, if you are a fan of this type music, to go pick up the latest from Eclipse. If it's your introduction to Eclipse, go see how you like it. And then I would tell you to go back to uh, albums like Bleed and Scream and uh, Monumentum and pick those up because those are amazing albums as well as Armageddon Eyes. So there you go. So before we go, I want to give a little note to every band out there that's releasing stuff. <laughs> Here we <right>? go. <laughs> so you know how you can pre-order the hard copy, right? Yeah. And then sometimes what happens is some bands send it to you after the release date's already passed, so you can already get it on streaming. Sometimes Amazon sends it to you on time, but the band can't send it to you on time, blah, 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 blah. 10-8, Jeff Scott Soto's new album was supposed to come out, the Duets Collection. I pre-ordered the LP Signed. And it showed up at 10.7 at 4 p.m. And it released on 10.8. Thank you, Jeff, for actually doing what every other band should be doing when that happens. 
Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Words to live by and and simple uh, request, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Till next week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed all that. We will talk to you next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. make sure you subscribe to our podcast growing up rock and leave us a review on itunes give us a like and leave us a comment on facebook at growing up rock